Good morning, FBC. Um, I am so excited to jump into the Psalms today with you. But before we do, let us pray and get our hearts right to receive what God has for us. Dear God, we just pray that your name be glorified, that this psalm, which is a psalm of praise, will teach us to pray to you, to, to cry out to you, to depend on you, for you are a good God, you are a sovereign God, and you are a God that provides. And those are the three things that we'll be focusing on. We ask that those three things not just be in our head, but will enter our heart. So Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you honor your word and that it will, that it will dwell richly in our souls and that we can be bonded even though we are apart as a unified body of Christ. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So yeah, welcome again. I'm so glad to be with you this morning. I, I, my name is Pastor Kyle, and I am the youth pastor here at FBC. And from time to time, they let me get up here and talk about the Bible. So I am just ready to jump in. And we're going to continue our series in the Psalms today, specifically on how we learn to pray through the Psalms, like not just through them like as a manual, but also through them as, as guidelines on how it will shape our prayer life. But before we talk about the Psalms, I got to talk about the most important person in my life, and that is my wife, Ruthie. She is my rock. Obviously, Jesus is my rock, but she is my rock. She is my, my best friend. We get along so well. She is 10 out of 10 wife material uh, for me, not for you. Um, and she is deeply involved in my theology and my, my understanding of who God is and how she has shaped that alongside how God has shaped him, um, my love for him through her. And I've done the same for her. And we've just kind of really blossomed together in our time as, as ministry leaders through these past, like, you know, five, seven years. Um, and right now, this sermon is a huge part in due to Ruthie's insight, her wisdom, her passion. Um, and she specifically saw a lot of themes here that really uh, made my, my mind turn and, and made the Spirit speak to me. So I just want to give her a full credit. This is a lot of, a lot of what you're going to hear today is from my wife. And uh, I think she's wiser than me. She's probably a better pastor than me. Sometimes uh, it, very, very confusing about why God chose me over her. But anyways, let's get into it. So Ruthie, she saw some connections here because of her background. She has always loved pasture land. She's always loved farms and, and the, the organic, you know, homegrown lifestyle of her ancestors, the Romanians that she's um, visited in Romania and her family that has lived there. She's kind of been captured by those images of living off the land and growing your own food and eating the fruit of your labor and, and, and inviting people into this healthy, holistic lifestyle. It's, it's very beautiful the way she describes it. She tears up sometimes about the joy that she felt in those moments. And she wishes that we could do that one day. And that's kind of our prayer. Like we would love to do something like that one day. But right now we got to settle with our condo lifestyle. We just moved to a condo. We moved from having no backyard to a backyard, even if it's mostly concrete, which is awesome for Elias, but it's not conducive to gardening. Uh, you can't raise a bunch of pigs or grow wheat on a, a flat slab of concrete. But what we can do is we ask the, the landlord if we could plant a little garden box. So we have an eight by four garden box that Ruthie is kind of flexing her green thumb and uh, she's, she's planted tomatoes. We have zucchinis and cucumbers, and they're flourishing. They're kicking off. We're finally seeing, like, the plants grow fully. We're about to, like, fully dump, jump in and eat it all up. So uh, that's been our pet project. But little did we know that this little garden box would change the way that Ruthie and I interact with ideas of God, specifically as a gardener. God is a gardener. He's tending to this world 
with care and intentionality and wisdom. He's pruning, he's watering, he's digging, he's shaping, just like a gardener does for their, their garden. And because of our time with this garden box, the psalm, specifically this psalm today, kind of blew up. There's a lot of language in this psalm that reminds us of God tending and caring to his creation personally as if as a gardener. And he also has language in the psalm about God watering the earth and, 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 and filling the earth with his bounty that does reflect you kind of the farmer-gardener lifestyle. And so the three things I want to talk about today through this psalm are simple at first, but they grow in complexity as we parse them. The goodness of God, the sovereignty of God, and the provision of God. You see, God is not just a God of character, he's a God of works, and so each of these aspects of who he is, the goodness, the sovereignty, and the provision, the the are all reflected in what he does. And the psalm breaks this down for us. And so I want us to realize that he is doing some amazing things through the earth and in such a way that he often refers to himself as either a tender of the earth or a gardener. Jesus has, talks about God in that way. Uh, we're going to see that in John 15 a little bit later. But I want us to picture, as, as we picture God as this caring gardener who's so intentional and in, 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 in digging and working the land, we have to remember that we are, we are the fruit there. We are the, we're the plants that he's caring for. I want you to picture yourself as, as a budding tree or as a budding, as a budding plant, that, as a fruit-bearing plant. And I want you to picture yourself in all of these verses as we, as we go forward because it's going to really minister to your heart on how God interacts with us and how he cares for us. Sometimes we can get caught up in like, I'm a person or I'm a sheep. We talk a lot about sheep and then shepherding, but this is a really different metaphor about growing and nurturing a plant. And if you've ever cared for something like a plant or tried to grow it, you know that there's a measure of the unknown, there's a trepidation, there's a hard work aspect, there's a perseverance aspect. So please enter into uh, the psalm with me in that mindset. And finally, I'm going to try to use the psalm specifically with those three points, the goodness of God, the sovereignty of God, and the provision of God as a kind of prayer manual. I want us to, to take some of these verse chunks, 1 through 4, 5 through 8, and 9 through 13, and use those to guide some of our prayer life over the next week or so. I would love for you to, to take the psalm and kind of chew on it for a while, maybe more than a week, and then eventually in the conclusion, we're going to see how maybe we can share what we learned through the psalm with others. So let's jump right in. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be reading from Psalm 65 verses all of them. So we're going to read it real quick the whole thing, Psalm 65. Praise awaits you, our God in Zion. To you, our vows will be fulfilled. You who answer prayer to all you, all people come. When we are overwhelmed by sin, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring to live near in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Savior the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, and the turmoil of the nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders, where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it, you enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed in gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. 
That's the word of the Lord. So as you can see, this is a psalm of praise, a psalm focused on God and what he does for everyone. And so let's jump into it. Verses 1 through 4, we're going to focus specifically on the theme of the goodness of God. The goodness of God, verses 1 through 4. Verse 1 says this. Here, uh, uh, sorry. Praise awaits you, O God, in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. Praise and vows belong to, uh, to God who lives in Zion or his dwelling place. I want you to picture a gardener, the mansion. This is a very wealthy gardener. He's got the whole earth as his garden. And he lives apart from his produce. He doesn't live in the fields. He doesn't live in the dirt like we would if we're the plants in this scenario. He lives apart. He is so much bigger and better and set apart from the plants. He is, he is night and day. He's an intelligent being comparatively to these kind of not really sentient living beings, right, called plants. And so he is so set apart, and yet there is something to be said about his character here. We are making vows to him in this. If you look at the verse again, vows to you, our vows will be fulfilled. So if you picture this for a moment, a vow is when we promise to follow through with something or we we make a covenant with. And so in a way, God has promised to care for his, a gardener where he says, I'm going to make a garden flourish. I'm promising to the garden to give it life. And in an indirect way, the plants are saying, I will promise to respond to you gardening. I will respond to your care for me. It may come across as a little strange for you to think that way, but think about it. There's almost an unspoken contract between you and your plant. When your plant starts to die, first you go, what did I do wrong? And then if there's nothing you've done wrong, you kind of blame the plant. Why are you withering? Stop it. And then you go on Google and you're like, why is my plant withering? And usually it's some random thing. Like, oh, just because you have the wrong soil or you didn't give your plants vitamins. Did you know your plants needed vitamins? But anyway, the vows that we give to God are very important to God. We will be fulfilling and performing these vows. Sometimes in America, we're really good at being authentic We're really good at promising things, but we're terrible at following through with things. It's kind of our culture. I'm there with you. My prayers and thoughts go out to you. And then within a month, we forget the whole issue. We move on to the next. God doesn't forget, and he doesn't want us to forget. Jesus, when he says, follow me to the disciples, he doesn't want them to follow them for him for a week and then go, okay, that was fun, Jesus, but uh, I'll see you later. I got to get back to fishing. No, he's saying, follow me forever. Your vow to me is, if you follow me, like, you're, you're going to be with me, but guess what? I will be with you, and I will flood you with the bounty of my life. And so we see that, that right here, the vows of God, vows to God are very important to him, and we're going to see how that develops through this section. Because the same God that wants our praise and our vows to be honored has reason for that to happen. Look in verse 2. God, you who answer prayer, and to you all people will come. The same gardener that is high and lifted up, far away from his plants, not even in the same relational playing field as his plants, or intelligent playing field as his plants, completely other, stoops down to hear the prayers and the needs and the personal wants of his creation. And the goal of that isn't to just hear his certain plot of land. He says he wants to draw all people to him. All people will come to him because of his attention to the individual, to the, to the prayers of the small community. 
You see, this gardener doesn't delegate his chores to other people. He doesn't have a team that runs around and listens to the the needs and the wants and checks up on the plants. No, he himself walks his entire plot of land and cares for each and every plant. It's like he goes to every plant and checks the leaves, checks the stems, hears the hears the bugs and is trying to find bugs if it's on the plant, touches the fruit to make sure there's nothing, no disease on it. He's incredibly specifically personal in his approach so that all the people will come to him. You see, this, this gardener is an expert in every single fruit bearing or nut bearing or, or, or any of those kind of ideas of like bearing nutrient-rich uh, produce. He's, he's good at every single, he has knowledge on every single plant every single possible vegetable. And he does that, and he proves that by being attentive to the prayers and the needs of each one of us. And we see the intentionality expand in verse 3. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. You see, the plant in this scenario is the one being overwhelmed, right? The helplessness is on the individual. The individual feels helpless with the iniquities in their souls. They can't get out of that rut. Now picture a plant covered in bugs or, or being afflicted by disease. The plant itself can't stop that from happening. It's going to die if it's not tended to. If someone doesn't step in and clean the bugs off or, or cut off the diseased part, it cannot save itself. But God has chosen not just to be a personal God that hears and a, and a God that desires all to be in his house, but, but he actually individually and corporately deals with the sins that we have for his glory. He doesn't need to. He should, like anyone, if you see a a rotten tomato on your tomato plant, takes that tomato off and throws it away. They don't try to save the tomato. But here he is. He steps in to fix our brokenness, to redeem our diseases, even when we are worthless to him. So, up to this point, we're seeing something about God be reiterated over and over. He is good, and he is so good that he is doing things you would never expect from even a gardener, let alone the king of kings and lord of lords. And finally, in verse 4, it says, Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. We are filled with the good things found in the presence of God. Now, some of you may be a little bit like, trying to interpret the language of choose. Blessed are those you choose. I'd rather you see it as an inclusive choose instead of an exclusive choose. And we can talk all day about predestination and all that stuff. But here, I just wanted you to see the positive. that This this being that is other is bringing lowly forms of life into his presence, not to to dominate or to to stoke his own ego, but to be be able to share the blessings that he has, the, the life that flows from him. You see, it's like a budding baby tomato. So as it stays connected to the vine, it starts out very small, very sour, very disgusting, honestly. But as it stays connected in in the presence of the vine and the life that flows through it, it fills up. It literally fills up like a balloon with nutrients and sweetness until it's fully ripe and beautiful in the sun and you're just like, oh, that tomato is ready to be eaten. Like we're we're just so close to gathering that tomato. It all comes from the presence of, of God. And the same thing happens when we're with him. When we're with God, we gain vicariously through osmosis, spiritual osmosis, who he is and what he can do for us and the abundant life that flows from him. And that's the beauty of being a Christian post-Christ, right? Like post, post 
resurrection. And when Jesus left the earth, he said, I'm, I'm leaving to send the Spirit to dwell with you. You don't have to go to a building anymore to find me, to be with me. I will be with you always. My Spirit will literally be inside you like a, like a life from a vine to fill you with the sweetness and goodness of God. But a tomato, if it filled to ripeness, wasn't picked, what happens? It starts to either rot on the vine or it'll fall off onto the ground and be, and be eaten by animals and wasted. The idea of a, a tomato filling with ripeness is for it to be shared in, with, a, with someone's mouth and with someone's stomach to, to provide the joy and the pleasure of eating something so delicious. That is our destiny. When, when these people are drawn into the presence and, and temple of God, they're being filled with good things, not just for them. Sure, it's great to be a really delicious-looking tomato, but if the tomato isn't used or experienced by others, it's wasted. And that's one thing I really, really love about the Romanian culture is they have a deep integrity when it comes to growing and buying organic things, and, and they, they really go out of their way to gather the best they can offer, but they don't just eat it and keep it for themselves. They bring people into their homes, and they say, look at this bounty. Look what God's provided. Don't you want to taste and see the delicious food that we have gathered for you, and they, they take so much joy in sharing the goodness that they've gained and grown. And that's who our God is. He wants us, he sees us as this beautiful project that he's like, don't just waste your life. Use it. He wants to fill us with abundant life and f- spiritual fruit and even physical blessing, but not for our own sake, for others. And we're going to see that develop at the end. But just want to remind you, like, this is important to God. And we can see how God is so present in his creation through these first four verses. He is showing his goodness by his presence and when he gives the fruit in, in the people he's tending to. He hears our prayers, he fixes our diseases, he heals our sins, and he fills us with good things. So how do we pray through the first section? Well, whenever you enjoy, enjoy a good meal or you go on a run and you feel great or you, you're looking at the, the house project you just completed and you're feeling good, a lot of those bring a sense of satisfaction, of pleasure. And we often, specifically in America, like don't take that any further. We kind of let that experience end. Like we'll be full after the meal and we'll take a shower and kind of do something else after the run or, you know, we'll just invite people over and pretend, like just show off what we've done in our backyard. So my, my, how do we pray through this? Well, every time you enjoy something, give praise to God who is good and gives good gifts to his kids. Turn that moment of, of savory, delicious experience and thought and emotion and, and send it back to the one who gave it to you. In, J, in James 1.17, it says, every good and perfect gift comes from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. It is from God, every good gift that you have ever had. Even if you feel like you've earned it or you've worked for it, it's actually been all the capacity, all the blessing has been given to you. So respond with praise. And guess what happens when you do? It turns that temporal moment of satisfaction, of pleasure, into an eternal moment. Because when God enters the room, when you say, God, you are praiseworthy for doing this. I love you for this. Thank you for this. He's there. And he turns that physical or even emotional moment into something that is a spiritual, lasting moment. And if you share that with people, they'll remember that moment. They'll remember that moment for a long time to come. So our first point, verses 1 through 4, is the goodness of God. And it's about praising him for what he's done for us. So let's go to the next section. The next section, verses 5 through 8, 
is the sovereignty of God, the power, the power. So let's read it, 5 through 8. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas and the roaring of their waves and the turmoil of the nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. When morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. Wow, this is about God's power, God's control. God's sovereignty. And verse 5 kicks it off. The, so it says, You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, O God our Savior, the hopes of all the ends of the earth and the farthest seas. Answers us. Huh. Do you remember in verse 2, it says, You who answer prayer? Well, these are the answers to the prayer. And he answers our prayers, not with a trite little email with a kissy XOXO, like, I hope you're staying healthy during this time of crisis. He's saying, Hey, I'm going to answer your prayers, your personal wants, your needs, your small little, little thoughts with global ramifications. I'm a God of the world. I'm a God of power. Your prayers result in global demonstrations of spiritual and physical changes wrought by God himself for his glory and for all the world to see. Wow, your prayers can do that. And this flies in the face of so many of us who, who don't see prayer that way, including myself. I don't see prayer as a global endeavor. I don't see prayer much bigger than what my small little mind can conceive of. I can get so caught up in tiny, I'm honestly useless prayers in my mind, like, oh, I really hope, or I really want, or, and I'm a pastor, right? But we all struggle with this. Because we can't, we can't fathom how we're tied to this global community, specifically in the church, but also amongst just the regular people. God pours out blessings on the whole world. It's not even saying for his people at this point. He's just pouring out blessings. But guess what? This prayer is being shown that from your lips and from our lips is globally important. If you're not a Christian and you're hearing this, you may think we're crazy, but track with me here. That means that it is, prayer is the single greatest export and resource that humans can engage in. If, we're, if our tiny prayers affect the world for God's glory and for his plan to be enacted, then we need to be praying differently. We need to be praying intentionally. We need to be praying with that in mind. We can't allow our own weak spirit and our own small minds to limit and, and, and not give God what he needs to be given, which is the glory and the hope and the faith that that takes. Once your mind is open to this, we got to learn to pray differently. This global gardener is doing a work that we can't see, and we got to get excited about that. we got to be hopeful and ready and waiting to see what will God do with our prayers. How will this change the world? You're supposed to pray in faith that way, not just like in this sad hope that we often do. And so it continues to show God's strength in verses 6 and 7. God, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. God is flexing here. He is flexing hard. He's flexing his creative power, and he's flexing his restorative power. God is saying, I created everything. I made mountains. I, I made tectonic plates lot together. I formed this globe, and it wasn't, I didn't even break a sweat. Right? Just like a gardener picking a pebble out of the box or a garden box or, or patting down the soil. That's how easy it was for him. It, didn't, it, wasn't, it, was a, it was a day in the life of God. It was just what he does every day. I create, I make things happen that you would blow your mind. 
I made stars. I made, I made universes. I made everything, and I didn't, it didn't sap me. It didn't make me lie down on the couch and go, oh, i got to take a break. No. I'm a powerful God who creates. And then we see a personal aspect of God's creative power displayed in his control over elemental chaos, a storm, right? God is unimpressed by nature's tantrums and by the upheavals of our planet. And I can't help but draw the parallel to Jesus in the boat and in, in, in the gospels when he's in the boat and there's a storm all around. It's a clear one-to-one here. There's, there's a massive storm about to drown and wipe out his disciples and Jesus is so exhausted from ministry, he's asleep and everyone is, is, is losing their mind. And it's like he wakes up and he's like, guys, guys, watch this. Hey, storm, knock it off. And the storm knocks it off. It's like he just waved away a fly, like, oh, come on, shh, quiet. And everything shut down. God has control over every natural thing. But even more impressive, it says, God has control over the turmoil of the people's. See, read in verse 7, the turmoil of the nations. God has control over that. Talk about a timely topic. We are in the midst of a nation of turmoil. We are literally a nation in turmoil, and God has control over that. But before I can answer how, we have to think of what we're doing right now. We are the people in turmoil. How are we supposed to respond? Well, I would say, I hope you're on your knees. I hope we're praying, because we just saw how it's globally important for us to pray. And if we are the people in turmoil, it's definitely doubly globally, globally important because it's also personally important. So the answer to, to how God does this, the quells and why he does this to quell the turmoil of the peoples, well, let's read verse 8. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You see, God uses all things for his plans. This gardener, is unimpressed by when, a, when a plant gets blown over or a, a pumpkin patch is, you know, withering. He's not panicking, going, oh, what was me? I don't know what to do. See, Ruthie and I don't know what to do. We had a crazy windstorm a couple of weeks ago. Maybe it was like last weekend. I don't know. Time doesn't pass in quarantine. It's all one day, just one bad day, just stretch, stretched out. But our tomato plants are really, really tall, really, really like full of baby tomatoes, and it almost got blown over, and we're like, oh, to do? Well, God would know. He's the ultimate gardener. He's like, here's what you do. Bam, 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 bam. He's not impressed with, with all of these problems, and he has a plan. He's got a plan from the beginning, and he's going to fulfill that plan. He's going to execute that plan perfectly, because not only is he a good God, he's a strong God. He's flexing on the, the planet, and he's not doing this for his own ego. He's not showing off. He's not like, hey, I'm the, I'm the best gardener. <laughs> he's doing this for the good of the garden and the good of the world. God's plans are always for the good of everyone. So then how do we make good sense out of a turmoil, tumultuous time? And the answer is going to be hard for some of us to stomach here today. The answer to how God quells the turmoil of the nations and turns it into worship in his name is that it's not our job to figure it out. We can't figure it out. You can't. That's the answer. There, there's no way to figure it out. Now, what do I mean by this? So let's, look at, look, let's look again at the story of Jesus in the storm. The disciples, when they were in the storm, thought they were going to die. It says that. They were going to die. They were despairing of life. The boat was flooding. These, these veteran sailors and fishermen are like, we're actually going to die, and Jesus is asleep. 
And they, they could not see how to get out of this. They did not imagine Jesus sitting up and shutting the storm off as if he turned off the lights and turned it back on again. They didn't picture that. So when he does that, what's happening? Shouldn't the disciples have known what was going to happen? Shouldn't they have like, been frustrated with Jesus? Like, dude, if you're that strong, why did you let us go through the storm? Well, because it wasn't about them. The purpose of the storm and the purpose of Jesus being there was to teach them a lesson about God. You see, Jesus was saying, I have control over all the earth. Oh, and I also have control over your own lives. I am that strong. I'm not just strong out there. I have control over you. I'm, I'm in control of your destiny. You were never in danger of dying. You were not in danger of dying no matter how it felt like they were. That's important to remember. These, these people in the moment felt like they were going to die. And Jesus said, no, because I was with you, that would have never happened. It's not like the boat would have gone down and Jesus would have been standing on the, the water going, oh, if only I had been awake. <laughs> I, I know I can walk on water. Oh, I forgot they can't. I forgot they can't swim, right? Jesus doesn't do that. He was trying to teach them a lesson about who he is. He is a God over, over all creation and over all mankind. So the turmoils of the nation will be used for God, but only retroactively we can see that. Only after it's been done can we find the meaning. So how do we pray when the sovereignty of God is kind of leading the way in these passages and, and we are in the midst of a tumultuous season? Well, guess what? The burden is not on your shoulders anymore. It doesn't matter how much secret knowledge you can look up or the human wisdom in the world or what the media is saying or and trying to find all of the connecting points to figure it all out. It won't matter because we can't see the end. And the burden is not on us to figure it out. It wasn't on the disciples to go, oh, the boat's filling up with water, so how do we get the water out? Um, the, wa- the wave's really high. How do we stop the wave from being really high? Did we cause the storm? That's, those are the questions that would have just been pointless, and they direct away from the answer, which is, oh, Jesus is in the boat. Oh, he's with us. We, we're okay. We, we won't sink. That's our response is, when you feel the burden is on you, how to pray through this section, it should remind you that whenever you feel burdened or confused or tumultuous, sorry, tumultuous, I always get that confused, pray for your heart to be filled with memories of God's goodness and to be filled with trust in his sovereign power. Remember, God is good, his plans are good, and as long as he's with me, he's in control. He's, he's, he's powerful. He won't let me sink. He's answering every prayer on, on the planet Earth for the sake of the good of the world and for his own name's sake. So trust that he's going to figure this out. The last section here, um, you can read quickly with me, verses 9 through 13. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows. You level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. I'm not going to parse each verse here because the verses speak for themselves. But the point of these verses is to draw us into a global view of how God provides for everyone and everything. He is tending a truly humongous garden project. 
And every single aspect of that garden has needs and tensions and wants. We are a super needy world. We can't go a day without feeling like, I need something, or I don't want that in my life, or I wish this changed. We, we can't even, like, have a day of stability anymore, right? That's our normal human experience. That's always been the human experience. Because we're mortal beings with such a limited perspective, I want more, or I don't want this. That's how we literally express ourselves, right? We are just helpless little plants, or as Jesus would say, helpless little sheep. Man, how do we do this, guys? How do we go through life and not remember who God is? He's a global gardener. He's got, he's providing for everything at all times. Well, it's easy how we can forget. We are, we are full of needs and selfishness, right? Quarantine and now the civil unrest and our nation has driven us all inward. Um, I like to picture myself like at my mental computer banks. Like I have all these like maybe old school computers. I don't even know how big they are anymore, like supercomputers. But like I'm just hacking away and trying to figure out all night and all day, running the numbers and projecting answers and trying to get you know the, the meaning behind the numbers and going, how do we figure this all out? How do we survive through this time? How do we provide for this time? How do we provide spiritual insight? Okay. And then we go crazy in our brains. That's what happens during these times of turmoil and times of being stuck inside as we can't get out of our own heads. And this is my testimony to this. Every day has been really hard during quarantine. I've been doing ministry leadership for around seven years with Ruthie, and I have never felt so uncomfortable, so undone, so confused about what to do. I'm out of touch with where we need to go. I hate Zoom. I hate Zoom so much, as you probably do now, especially if you're working and having to do meetings on Zoom. Zoom sucks. I'm sorry. That's just the worst. And I'm glad that Zoom exists, but it sucks. And so does social media. Social media doesn't help me feel at peace. It just creates more questions or more frustrations or more wants. And so I've just been stuck in my head, and I've kind of I long for ministry being the face-to-face discipleship that I signed up for. That's what I've been doing. I can't do this face-to-face Zoom discipleship. It doesn't work. So, you know what? I found out what I needed to do. I needed to find ways to connect and encourage students we need to bring a spiritual revival to Benicia. I'm doing a summer camp with Sammy from Northgate. We're going to be doing a prayer and worship night next Saturday. And just really like, like we're going to bring revival to Benicia. I'm going to lead the charge. And then I realized how crazy that sounds. How absolutely crazy that sounds. I believe a lot of those plans were God's spirit and God's timing pushing them forward in my life. But to own it for me, to say I'm the one that has to do this, I have, to want, I have the one to provide these things for people, otherwise there won't be X, Y, and Z, that's crazy. I can't bring revival. Pastors can't heal racism. Presidents or candidates can't save America. People can't do anything. We're just little plants screaming across the globe, I want more water. It's too hot. I want more nutrients. This bug's biting my tomatoes. And what happens is then we, <laughs> we go, well, I guess God doesn't hear, so I'm going to solve my own problems. It doesn't work. We can't do anything. I can't bring revival. We can't fix racism without Jesus. We can't fix the broken systems, or we can't fix protests that turn violent. We can't do anything like that because God is doing it. I need to reorient the way I see the world working, which is 
I'm not leading the charge. I'm not responsible. I wish I was, and then I wish I wasn't at the same time because it's too much to bear. This psalm takes us from this inward gaze and goes, hey, look out. What is God doing? This is the simplest prayer of the, of the bunch here. So we first learn how to pray the goodness of God. Every time you experience something good, you, you give it up and praise and prayer so that God can enter into that moment and it makes it an eternal moment, a spiritual moment. And then with the, the sovereignty of God, we prayed through, uh, we're learning how to pray through um, when you feel burdened, give it away. Say, Lord, you are, you are, I trust your sovereignty in my life. I trust that you are in control and I want you to be present with me. I want to survive this ship sinking because you're on it, I, so it won't sink, right? And then finally, the simplest prayer for this section, the provision of God is, when you feel depleted or worn out, pray that God will give you eyes to see and ears to hear his provision in your life and the lives around you. Remember that he's at work. He's moving. We wish it was quicker, but he's moving. We wish it was this X, Y, Z way, and it, but he's doing it his way, and it's the best way. And he's doing it across the world, it says at the end, so that everything will shout for joy, that the rain, when it comes, it will just enrich the land. When his, when his wagon carts are overflowing with abundance, he literally has so much good, he's trying to sh- sh- give it away. And we're missing it because we're going, in my world, in my life, it's too hard to see the good. So orient yourself from end to out. Say, Lord, I can't do this. I'm burdened. I'm weary. I'm tired. I can't provide and go, oh, because I shouldn't. I can't. It's not my role. You're the one. Open my eyes to see how you're providing. And I'm going a little long, but this is an important psalm for us. So conclusion. How, the conclusion is how do, we, how do we take this from beyond prayer, which is globally important. We establish that. Prayer is the most important thing you can act out in your life right now. It is the most important thing that we are not doing as a church in general. Just like we're praying here and there, but we need to be praying specifically for the world to be changed and with hope and, and waiting to see it happen. But what else can we do? Well, here's a few more lessons from Ruthie's garden. Gardening takes a lot of work. Pruning, upkeep, watering, knowledge, perseverance, day-to-day interaction. But the end result is the harvest. When we harvest the, the fruit of our labor, we get a glimpse on how God sees our praises for him, right? God is so excited when, when, when the harvest is ready, when our hearts are full, when we're praising him and saying, Lord, like, thank you for what you've done. It's, it's a pleasing aroma to him. It's a joyful noise that fills him with love. All his good work is like, you're acknowledging it. You're, you're, you're saying, thank you. And he's like, I know it's been so fun to help you and love you and care for you and bless you. And I... I haven't been burdened like you have, and I wish you could see that I just want you to, to experience me and my abundant life. And when you're saying, yes, Lord, I do, it's this mutual excitement that the harvest time is so exciting. But it's even better than picking the fruit when you taste the fruit. Oh, it's so delicious and so sweet. And it's one of the best things in the world to eat something you grew. But then there's another pleasure that's even greater. Ruthie picked her first cucumber and gave it to Elias my kid. He's three and a half, and he loves everything food-related. And he ate it, and he was just, just seeing the joy in his face, and he's saying, like, Mom, that's so cool. You did so good. And it just brought joy to Ruthie's heart. And that's what's better than praise for God. So giving God praise is a huge part of why we exist on earth, not to stoke his ego, but to show him that we understand what he's doing, and that it's good, and that we're excited. But then 
We need to go share that praise with others. We need to go share the fruit that God has poured into you and filled you up with with others so that they may see and understand what's going on. You see, a hidden theme of this psalm is that you, if you look, there's not one eye in it. It's corporate. We. We praise. We know. And we are supposed to praise God in such a way that the whole earth resounds with shouts of joy and praise. God doesn't garden as his pet project. It's the only way he seeks to spread the gospel of Jesus through his people. We are supposed to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, as it says in Galatians, to then go out and say, I got this from God. Don't you want it to? Don't you want to know Jesus so that you can be filled with ripeness and abundance and, and the fruit of the Spirit? So how do we do that? Well, you start sharing the bounty of God's goodness with those around you. Let the world know that he is a good gardener who cares for everyone and the whole earth will resound with his glory. Don't let this psalm just minister to you. Don't just come away full from this psalm. Take it with you. Share it with your friends, your kids, your family. I'm telling you, teach this psalm. Teach the the three parts, verses 1 through 4, verses 5 through 8, verses 9 through 13. The goodness of God, the sovereignty of God, the provision of God. And bring that knowledge, bring that knowledge to, to people around you to make them go, isn't God awesome? Isn't God full of life? Isn't God the God I want to follow for the rest of my life, that my vows may be performed for him, that he hears my prayers, that his glory gets spread across the world when he calms the turmoil of the people's? This God and his word needs to be shared. I challenge you, go and teach this psalm this week to people in your life, at least two people in your life this week. Pray, teach them how to pray through these, these rhythms, the goodness of God, the sovereignty of God, and the provision of God. God, you are good. I give you glory when I have good things. God, I'm, I'm lost in the storm. Provide a way out. Help me trust that you are good in the midst of the, sovereign, uh, midst of the storm. And then finally, Lord, I'm empty, I can't provide any way out, so you must. And help me see and, and, and taste and see and hear the ways that you've already provided. And when you teach others to praise, just like Ruthie gained joy from watching Elias taste of her labor, you will gain joy from seeing their eyes open. Them to see, oh, God is sweet. God is good. So will you just pray with me right now before we end? <sighs> Lord, you are king of kings. You are Lord of Lords. You are able to make a, a bounty out of our mess. Lord, I know I'm, I'm not used to preaching in front of a camera, and, and I pray that you use every aspect of this time, my, my stuttering and my forgetfulness, and I pray that I am removed and that the heart of the message is here, that it will rest in these people's hearts today, that they are, they are just in awe of your goodness, that they can't wait to praise you, and they can't wait to share the knowledge of you with their friends and their family and those around them. Give us your, your, your peace in this time of turmoil. Help us to wait it out, to be patient. And uh, we just ask that you continue to be with us, God. We thank you for being with us with your spirit and that Jesus came for us for this reason, that we may be with you forever. We love you. In your son's name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, well, we're about to enter another time of worship, and after that, we're going to have our... Uh, um, after party on zoom but it will look a little different so stay tuned you'll get some more updates after worship is done i love you all and have a great day